This is Louisiana Considered on WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. I'm Diane Mack. Just ahead on today's show, a New Orleans musician and singer is back with new music and an upcoming performance. We'll talk with Raheem Glassby. And drones could soon be used to assist the New Orleans Police Department. Critics express concern. But first... Hundreds of nurses at University Medical Center New Orleans voted to unionize last week. National Nurses United says that it's one of Louisiana's largest union elections in 30 years and the first private hospital in the state to unionize. Lucy Mendez is a registered nurse at UMC New Orleans in the emergency department. She spoke with the Gulf States Newsroom's Stephen Basaha about why she voted for and campaigned to join the union. So what motivated you to vote in favor of unionizing? So what motivated me to vote in favor of unionizing is patient care. So I wanted to make sure that my patients were getting well taken care of. And um, one of those things that provides us help with caring for patients is having safe uh, ratios. So um, about staffing ratios, staffing ratios so that we can take care of our patients. Well, help me understand what you're seeing in the hospital as far as a a lack of proper staffing. So what we're seeing, it directly affects patient wait times and patient outcomes. So longer wait times in the emergency department for patients to be able to see a doctor, longer wait times for patients to go into rooms and be kind of a more comfortable environment for them, being kind of in the emergency room in stretchers is not the most comfortable thing for uh, extended long periods of time. It, it wasn't made for that. So we are not able provide, to provide the care that we would like for our patients. Was there a specific moment or incident that you could think of that made you think, okay, we do really need a union here? There's not a specific moment. Um, it's kind of one of those things where you talk about and you have nurses that are here that travel to California and other states that do have unions. And they kind of tell us the kind of ratios that they have. And they speak to us about, you know, having somebody cover your lunch and little things like that. You get all that information and you're like, maybe one day and we have the one day, you know, but we did have one nurse that was Elder Dunneman that worked with us. He had worked there for years and he'd always talk about unions and his name was Warren. He passed away um, two years ago, but he would have been so proud to see us at this moment. So how did this campaign end up going from something Warren talked about to an actual union campaign? We sorted out like what was our important things like were we happy what we needed talking to everybody and talking from people in other units and seeing that they had the same issues that we were having in the emergency department it kind of opened us to be able to talk to each other more so in all the different units and being able to kind of unite in the efforts to provide better patient care At the same time, unions have not historically been popular in the South, or at least a lot less popular here. How did that affect this campaign? I would say a lot of people were very naive to the things that what unions can help us with and um, a little hesitant on allowing someone to come in and help us out. And we also were told that it's a third party that's going to come in and that they're going to kind of take over just getting knowledge that, no, it's not anybody else. It's us. We are the Owned ones. Owned by working. the medical center? Yes. 
And, and so what, what specifically were they saying? They would tell us that a third party would come in um, and they're the ones going to be making the negotiation, but we are the union. So we compromise the union. We make up the union. University Medical Center makes up the union. How did you end up overcoming a lot of that anti-union messaging? A lot of talking. It was a lot of one-on-one talking to our own staff, um, other people, just being able to be available to others. Um, I think it's a big thing is being open to talking to someone, answering any questions, and whatever you don't know, you find out. The other thing we've seen over the past several years with uh, companies like Amazon, Starbucks, is that a union victory does not guarantee a quick first contract. We've seen contract fights drag on for years. I know you're celebrating that right now, but looking forward, how are you expecting negotiations to go? We're looking forward um, to work. We ate, we won by a very big mi- majority. We ate by we won by eighty two percent. So we um, we are talking to. Even the people that are saying said no, like what is it that um, is important to you to make sure that we can include all of those things um, in our contract and make a very strong first contract? Last month, the New Orleans Police Department released a draft of a proposal to deploy unmanned aircraft systems to assist the agency. In other words, the NOPD is preparing to use drones. But critics are concerned the drones will invade residents' privacy and harass low-income neighborhoods. Nick Crastel has been covering this story for the Lens NOLA and joins us now for more. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Nick, what do we know about how this idea came to be? What are the reasons that the NOPD is alleging the use of drones would be a good and helpful idea? Yeah, so NOPD released this draft policy in late November and said that they wanted uh, to solicit public feedback and and get input on on improving the policy. But we hadn't heard much prior to that. Um, so obviously there were discussions going on behind the scenes um, when they released this policy. It was all, already fully written, and they said that they had been consulting with um, the federal consent decree monitors um, on, on it. But, you know, NOPD has said basically that that the drones will assist with their staffing issues. NOPD has has historically low staffing numbers right now. The number of, of officers in the department is, um, you know, lower than it's been in decades. Um, so they're calling these drones a force multiplier, basically arguing that that they can, you know, free up police to to respond quicker to calls and saying that the drones can do kind of a whole range of things um, from kind of crime scene investigations to vehicle crash documentation, uh, surveillance pursuits, um, disaster response. Can you break down that draft policy for us? How many drones does the city want to deploy? What areas will they be surveilling? And since a drone can't arrest someone or stop a crime from happening, how will the devices alert officers when they need to be on a scene? Yeah, it really authorizes a, a wide range of ways that the drones can be used. And it does it does require that a pilot get uh, authorization from supervisor before they use them. And it says that they should be used in specific public safety missions, but that can be all sorts of different things. So in addition to to rescue operations, storm damage assessments, there's also the possibility that, that these drones can be used for um, monitoring demonstrations and, and you know, big events. Um, in the event that 
the drones are used in these what the, the draft policy calls First Amendment assemblies, um, there's a requirement in the policy that 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 the public be notified so that there's some sort of notification system. The draft also has a, a requirement that there's a monthly audit of these drone flights that they're being tracked and, and recorded. Um, and some uh, regulations regarding the use of drones for criminal investigations and ongoing surveillance. So there's a, a limited set of crimes where um, these drones can be used if they're if they're being used in, in a surveillance uh, sort of investigatory uh, way. Are there any examples of other cities around the country where law enforcement deploys drones? What do we know about the success of the aircrafts and the community response? Yeah, lots of other jurisdictions use drones and, you know, including here in Louisiana, the Louisiana State Police use drones and have used drones uh, in New Orleans, actually. Um, so we reported on uh, Louisiana State Police using drones during protests following the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. There were protests here in New Orleans and Louisiana State Police had had drones monitoring them. Um, so, you know, we don't know the full extent that they've been used in New Orleans. In other cities, they're used for a wide range of things like we were talking about, um, including, you know, in some places you, being used as first responders. Um, that's not really considered in the NOPD policy. It's not prohibited. But yeah, the dr drones are being used all over. And of course, the New Orleans Police Department has a brand new leader, Chief Ann Kirkpatrick. What has she said about this? Yeah, the new chief, I think, has been, you know, trying to kind of find a balance, you know, promoting the use of these drones, arguing that they could really enhance public safety and also using it as a way to say, you know, look, we're being really transparent about this. We want public feedback um, and, and we're really concerned about about privacy of citizens. And that's why we're doing this. I will say, you know, the department has solicited public feedback on the drone policy. It's not entirely clear how they're going to incorporate that feedback. And also, this was feedback after they had already purchased the drones and written the policy. This was not asking the community, should we use drones? It was, you know, saying we are going to use drones. We're, we're open to hearing what your thoughts are. We are speaking with Nick Crastel, reporter for The Lens NOLA, about the NOPD's plan to deploy unmonitored aircraft systems in New Orleans neighborhoods. Nick, what have been some of the main concerns of community members who don't want to see drones in their neighborhood? And why were some people, according to your reporting, suspicious of the draft policy release date? So I think there's a wide range of concerns and maybe, you know, you can put them into two general categories. I think there are people who who believe that that drones could be useful in certain situations and are open to the possibility of police using drones, but really would like to see a, a clear policy and, and have been critical of some of the language in the policy as being too vague and and you know allowing for the use of drones in all sorts of situations and, and we don't really have a good understanding. And then I think there are people who believe that drones shouldn't be used at all, that, you know, this is not how we should be spending our money, um, that resources would be better utilized elsewhere, and that the city has been developing for many years kind of this really robust surveillance structure and that we shouldn't be furthering that, that there are already hundreds of crime cameras, you know, the city has 
pretty extensive analytics software to, to kind of monitor those. And that this is kind of another step in that, that direction that, that people don't believe we should, we should be going in. Um, and then, you know, there's the, the concerns of just kind of the, the feel of, of drones, you know, are these drones going to be at, at second line parades and at, at Mardi Gras parades and at community events. And, and there's, I think sort of a dystopian element there that, that concerns people, these kind of hovering surveillance things, um, you know, that, that could be ever present. So I think those, that's kind of the, the range of concerns. People were worried about the release date. They put out this policy right before Thanksgiving and kind of gave a week of, of public comments. And I think there was some suspicion that, that that was to kind of, you know, sneak, sneak it by the public. People had a lot going on. They were going out of town for, for the holidays and, so I think that that was the suspicion. NOPD did uh, extend the the period to public comment for by a few days. So I think maybe to alleviate those concerns. You reported that NOPD officers recently invited reporters and concerned citizens for a drone demonstration in an attempt to alleviate some of the concerns. Can you tell us a bit about this event and the response? Yeah. So this was a few weeks ago. The NOPD did a drone demonstration at, at their training facility. Uh, the chief sort of presented the the chief and uh, deputy chief sort of presented the policy and and you know said that the department you know wants public input really respects the privacy of citizens and you know allowed for public questions many of the questions kind of were got to some of the points I, I just described about whether or not this is the type of investment that the city should be making but also there were some specific concerns you know, um, whether or not the the drones would have uh, propeller guards in case one falls out of the sky, and uh, whether or not they would be marked as NOPD equipment. To be honest, the the department representatives didn't have a lot of clear answers for people. A lot of a lot of the answers were, you know, we are still developing this policy, and and these things are going to be kind of worked out as we go. But but we appreciate your uh, your input. Um, and then they did they did a little drone demonstration where one of the uh, NLPD officers just sort of raised a drone up into the sky. Um, it was nothing too exciting, but gave us a little demonstration. Nick Crastle is a reporter with the Lens NOLA. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. Raheem Glaspie is back. The New Orleans-born singer and actor has been in a creative period and returns to the stage with new music and performance at Ogden After Hours at the Ogden Museum of Southern Art. Raheem joins us now. Welcome to Louisiana Considered. Hi, how y'all doing? <laughs> hey, you have been in what's being described as a period of regrowth and renewal. Tell us about this time in your career. How was it reflected in your latest release? So for the past couple of years, I want to say uh, since 2020, I was a part of a band called Water Seed, and I'm no longer a part of that band. So I had to literally find myself again as a solo artist. And what I'm doing now is a rebirth, a renewal, a rebranding of what it means to be Raheem Glaspie again. And what is the name of your new release? 
My new release is called ROTG. I won't tell you what that stands for just yet, but <laughs> it's called ROTG, and it, it comes out sometime at the beginning of next year. Okay, so this is going to be your winter release. Are we going to hear anything at this concert at the Ogden that might come from the new release? Uh, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> There's a huge chance that you will hear some new music at the Ogden since I have two 45-minute sets. The first set, I'm going to give you some of the stuff that you're used to from me, and then I'm going to switch it up for the second set and give you some new sounds and a renewed Raheem. Uh-huh. So now, how do you describe your music, your sound, and what has changed? I'm a soulful rock singer. I've always been a soulful rock singer. I like to describe myself as more of a storyteller, right? So I'm always looking for the story in every song and the story in my voice. So with this new rebrand and this rebirth, I'm telling the story of a new. Now, there were three songs that you sent me. These are previous releases? Yes. So what's crazy is I sent you two songs from my solo debut album, which is called No More Karaoke. I sent you Mary Jane Love, which I made with a beautiful singer called Kay Jade. It's a duet between us. I just wanted to do a duet because I don't believe artists do duets a lot nowadays. It's not a thing nowadays. So I, I wanted to bring back a duet and it's a duet about um, <laughs> taking part in, you know, the greenery. you what you're looking for which is also from no more karaoke and that song is basically telling the world uh, i got what you're looking for baby whatever it is that you're looking for musically i got it you know and the last song actually you're getting an exclusive yep that's right an exclusive from rotg which is called wait and it's a song i wrote for my daughter um when she was being born about four years ago or so, and I'm just releasing it on this new project. Now, you have performed on stage at the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. You are a two-time Big Easy Award winner, and you recently made your Kennedy Center debut with your band, Water Seed. Take us back to your roots as a musician. How did it all blossom for you? What's crazy is, Diane, I didn't begin as a musician. I was an actor first. Um... I always loved acting. I was a part of stage plays from the age of five on. Um, that's where one of my Big Easy Awards come from, is actually from theater. I won a Big Easy for Best Supporting Actor in Dreamgirls when I played Jimmy Early. So I didn't even envision myself as a singer at a point. And then I went to college and met a guy named Ryan Batiste um, from the great Batiste family. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
and he Ryan Shag Batiste and I joined his band Raw Revolution and he was the one to make me believe in being a singer and that I've been a singer professionally for the last 10 years. Now, what will be the experience for visitors attending your show at Ogden After Hours? You're going to hear music from the heavens. You're going to hear vocals that takes you on a ride. I'm hoping to heal you with some of my songs. I'm hoping that you understand the meaning of love from some of my songs. I'm, I'm hoping that you become whole in certain parts just for a little while. Let's just be together in fellowship through music. Now, can you describe the new sound that we're going to hear? It's a little more of what we're used to with a slight more hint of soul because it's all me that I'm giving you. So it's it's soul that I'm, I'm I'm trying to give you. I'm trying to give you me more than anything else. I was out of touch with who Raheem was and what he enjoyed about being a musician. And now I'm back into my bag, as they say. <laughs> and what brought you back? I'm actually having... Um, a son in a couple of weeks. Oh my, congratulations. So anytime you have new life coming into your life, it changes you just a little bit and it makes you realize what's really important. How are you paving the way for aspiring local musicians who may want to follow in your footsteps? I want them to always understand that you have to be authentic and you have to be yourself. What I've learned over time is you don't make the music that you feel people want to hear, right? And you don't do the things that you feel people want you to do. I feel you should always make the music for you and the story that you want to tell. And the people that identify with that story, those are going to be your fans. Those are going to be your supporters. So always be authentically you. And how do you describe the new Raheem Glaspie? He's gorgeous, baby. <laughs> he feels good. He's in a rebirth. He is feeling it. He has got baptized in the River Jordan. <laughs> and now he's coming back for everything that he feels like he's always had. And more than that. Oh, my God. Yes. New Orleans singer Raheem Glaspie. It has been a pleasure talking with you. And congratulations on your new family. Thank you, Diane. Thank you so much for having me. Ogden After Hours features New Orleans-based singer Raheem Glaspie on Thursday evening, December 14th, from 6 until 8. More info is online at ogdenmuseum.org. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. Thanks to our guest, nurse at University Medical Center New Orleans, Lucy Mendez, reporter for the Lens Nova, Nick Crastle, and New Orleans singer and actor, Raheem Glaspie. 
Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our assistant producer is Aubrey Procell. Our engineer is Garrett Pittman. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation.